Uh, very pleased to welcome back to the program Michael Franzese, former captain in the Colombo crime family, author, best-selling author, motivational speaker, and uh, the author of the book Mafia Democracy, How Our Republic Became a Mob Racket. Michael, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for joining me. Good to be back, Frank. Thank you. Uh, Michael, I mentioned your experience with the criminal justice system before. Last time you were on the program, you had some some very strong feelings about Hunter Biden. Now we're hearing that the special counsel in this uh, Hunter Biden investigation, Mr. Weiss, may actually be looking to indict Hunter Biden on the on the gun charge. Now, it seems that there are people that kind of fall into three camps on this. Well, there are people that say Hunter Biden's being signaled out for special treatment that's worse because he happens to be Joe Biden's son. There's other people that say he's being given um, better treatment because of who he is. And there's other people that say, all right, let's wait and see what the special counsel comes up with and see what the charges are before we jump to conclusions. Have you looked at this at all, uh, Michael? What's your take on the looming indictment of Hunter Biden? Well, for anybody that says he's getting worse treatment because he's uh, Joe Biden's son is is just ridiculous, you know, especially in light of what happened with the last plea agreement that fell apart. That was just absurd on its face, having been through, you know, defrauding the government out of tax and all of that. I've, I've experienced that myself and I know how hard they come down on people. But I'm going to be honest with you, Frank, I don't trust this Justice Department at all. And I think it's a whitewash here in some way. They've got to give people something. Uh, but what's going to happen if Biden at the end of this term, is he going to pardon this guy? Is it going to be another sweetheart deal where he gets uh, no jail time involved in this? I think they're trying to give the public something to show that, you know, there is some impartiality here. Uh, but I don't trust them at all, not after this whole debacle that's going on. And, you know, why is he not looking at the, the, the real evidence here? Why is he not looking on what's going on, what's going on with all of these bank accounts, all these offshore accounts? I'm sorry, all these uh, shell companies that he has, all the money that's come in. You know, this is a RICO indictment if I've ever seen one. Frank, trust me, if this were anybody else with the evidence that that's, uh, Congress is unfolded already, there would already be an indictment. No question about it. And I'd stake my life on it. I've been through three racketeering cases. One of them was a tax fraud case. There is enough evidence here right now for there to be an indictment. I'm not talking about a conviction. You go to trial, anything could happen. But an indictment, charges brought down, absolutely 100% with everything that I've seen. At meantime, the your old adversary, who also wrote the forward to your most recent book, Rudy Giuliani, he's part of this Trump indictment in Georgia. I know uh, you've been all over the place talking about this. Where do you see this one going, Michael? As a guy that has seen uh, convictions and acquittals, where, do you think this ends in a conviction, acquittal, or something else? Well, you know, there again, you know, it's it's a jury pool that you have to be concerned with. Are these are these people with Trump derangement syndrome that no matter what they're going to convict him? You know, you got to you got to be concerned about that. But my my real opinion of this, understanding what the RICO indictment or what the RICO statute is all about, it was created to go after organized crime in a pattern of criminal activity. An organized crime enterprise. I don't see that here. 
I mean, this is one issue that happened in the state of Georgia where they're claiming he tried to overthrow the election. This is not an organized criminal organization, an enterprise that engaged in a pattern of racketeering. That's not what this statute was all about. Right. And for them to bring these kind of charges, they could have brought something else, conspiracy or whatever. But to try to make this a RICO indictment, whether it be Giuliani or Biden or anybody else, it just doesn't sit right with me. I don't see it. One of the things that uh, and people just tuning in, we're talking with Michael Franzese. Uh, he's doing an upcoming show in a couple of weeks in Atlantic City. We're going to tell you how you can uh, you can see it. It's a, a tremendous show uh, led by an incredible storyteller. But if you want to check out his videos on YouTube, his books or anything else he's up to, you can check out his website, michaelfranzese.com. That's F-R-A-N-Z-E-S-E.com. Michael, one of the things that... Um, some people have been talking about this week is this likely meeting that's taking place between Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. And it looks like that at least part of the agenda for this meeting is going to have to deal with North Korea selling weapons to Russia, which presumably they would use in this war in Ukraine. Out on the streets, I'm sure you were witness to a lot of meetings between unsavory characters. The Trump approach to foreign policy seemed to be to engage with these guys. Uh, Tom Friedman had an article, an op-ed in the New York Times yesterday that said that uh, there are some nations that are led by people that are so despicable, you shouldn't be engaging with them. And it looks like Biden is kind of taking a page from that Tom Friedman playbook. And um, the implication from what Biden is doing is these folks are finding one another. I'm curious what your take is on this Kim Jong-un, Vladimir Putin pseudo-alliance that uh, China may be a part of in the long run as well, and how you think that should dictate future American policy. Well, you know, it's all, you know, it's peace by strength for me. And, uh, you know, I always live by being on the street, Frank, was always, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. And I think that, unfortunately, the United States just doesn't, uh, look strong anymore. We don't. I mean, we have a conference now in Asia that's very significant that the president doesn't even show up for since Kamala Harris, the vice president. I mean, there's so many things that are, are worrying me, are concerning me. You know, the fact that our two enemies and Kim Jong, he, he's an enemy and Putin is an enemy, are getting together, you know, to try to do something that in the long run would be detrimental to uh, our security here, I believe, you know, we just don't exude strength anymore in this country. And it's it's frightening. It really is because they're serious enemies. And if they have the opportunity, you know, to harm us in any way, they will. And, um, you know, I don't think people are paying attention to this. And I understand why, you know, the country's in such bad shape economically for so many people. They're trying to put food on their table. They're trying to support themselves. They're worrying about, you know, you know, their own livelihood. I get it. And not paying attention to what's going on uh, with our foreign policy. And I think it's very frightening. Uh, I believe if Trump or somebody with strength was in office, we wouldn't be seeing this. Um, 
But it is what it is, and hopefully we can get through it. Do you think the the Trump philosophy, though, of dealing with these guys directly, because he was criticized by that, including by some people in his own administration, of meeting with Kim Jong-un, of meeting with Vladimir Putin, even though you know we know these guys aren't exactly models of Jeffersonian democracy, do you think that is an effective way for leaders— and even if we take it out of the political realm or the mob realm, I'm sure everybody interacts with has the opportunity to interact with bad guys in the course of their own life. And I know a lot of the lessons that you've learned from the street, you've tried to impart in terms of leadership lessons in every uh, station of life. Do you think that Trump philosophy of engaging with folks like Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin is an effective one? Well, it seemed to be effective throughout, uh, you know, his uh, four years in office. Um, again, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to uh, allege that I am, uh, you know, a foreign policy expert. But just my street sense and what I know of on the street, I would rather engage with them than than not. That would be my feeling on this. Um, and again, you know, Trump seemed to be successful throughout his four years. I mean, he kept things pretty much in order. So, uh, you know, that's what I see from a distance. Now, again, if I had maybe more knowledge or somebody told me something different, I, I would gotcha. have a change of opinion. Gotcha. Fair enough. Uh, Michael, I saw on uh, Twitter or the platform formerly known as Twitter, a photo of you and Mike Tyson uh, teaming up to do something. What are you and Mike Tyson doing together? It's a platform called Champions Corner, and Mike and I have gotten together over the past several months. Uh, Mike is very, very interested in leaving a strong legacy with helping people, especially our young people. I've been doing this for many years now, visiting you know prisons and juvenile detention centers and talking with kids. And we've gotten together to try to put a platform together that we're going to be launching within the next couple of weeks that's going to do just that. We're going to help people with personal development and also to get ahead in business. And our our motto on this is turning your adversity into an advantage. And Mike and I have both been able to do that very fortunately throughout our lives and our careers. And we want to share that knowledge. And we have a bunch of good people jumping on board. And it's going to be a platform that we're hoping to take global. And uh, people are very excited about it now. We've kind of leaked a little bit of information out about this. But I think it's, uh, again, it's a legacy piece for both of us, and uh, we're real excited about it. That sounds great, and uh, if people want to learn more, they can find um, Michael Franzis on Twitter and and be kept informed about this latest collaboration with Mike Tyson. Michael, I'm sure you get this question a lot, and I've gotten it several times whenever, whenever I've been lucky enough to talk to you on the radio or on my podcast. And that's, you know, you've done a lot of great things. You're one of the most sought-after and motivational speakers in the country. You've written some best-selling books. You've made movies. You've got a, a YouTube channel, which is one of the most watched of any um, any influencer on YouTube. But a lot of the reason that you got to do those things is because of your history with the mob. Even though you made the decision to walk away from the mob, which is a very difficult thing, especially given your family history, is there a risk that uh, by 
by you uh, talking about the old days when you were in the mob and doing that whole thing, is there a risk that there's a glamorization of a lifestyle that could lead to a lot of misfortune for people that want to go down that route? Or is, by the same token, does seeing your success of turning your life around say to some young person who might be seduced by the glamour of it, they might say, all right, well, I'll just do a conversion the way that Michael Franzese did after a short stint in prison and have a whole second career as a writer and a filmmaker. I'm sure you've heard this criticism before, Michael. Give me your response to it. Well, Frank, here's the deal. You know, I always discourage, I, I don't glamorize my former life. Uh, and I always, I always discourage people from getting involved. And I can point out something very, very distinctly. I am so fortunate. I am like one in, in, I don't want to say one in a million, but one in dozens upon dozens upon dozens that have been able to make a break for that life. And I only have to point to one statistic. You look at Fortune magazine, written in 1986, 50 most powerful and wealthy mob bosses in the country. They featured six of us. It was a huge article, half the magazine, featured six of us out of the 50. I was one of the six that they featured. Then they had a chart with the 50 of us on there according to rank, wealth, and power. I was number 18 on that list. I was the youngest guy on that list. And I always say it was a silly list. I mean, they didn't ask for our tax returns. It just <laughs> sold a lot of magazines, sure. right? Sure. But here's what's not silly about it, Frank, and this is what people need to understand. Out of the list of that 50, 48 of them are dead. Number 49 is still in prison, older than me, will probably die there. So the fact that I'm the only one alive and free and able to talk about it, and if I I tell you the road that I had to uh, navigate in order to get where I am, Look, I didn't cooperate with the government to put people in prison. Nobody ever went to jail because of anything I ever said to the government. I did make friends with them. I do have friends in government right now. But I wasn't somebody that wanted to take revenge on people in my former life. I didn't negotiate my plea deal to get out of prison. I took a straight 10-year sentence and did eight on the 10. So it wasn't anything like that. And I can only tell you this. There's no blueprint for walking away from that life not entering a witness protection program and being able to survive publicly like I have. So to tell you that I'm fortunate and blessed is, is an understatement. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So people can't think that they can use that life, do what they got to do and then go out and try to change themselves. It's not that easy. It's very, very difficult. And a lot of things have to fall into place. And, you know, look, I surrounded myself with good people. I've got a wonderful wife that, you know, supported me through eight years in prison. Um, And this doesn't happen all the time. So to think that you're going to beat the odds like that all the time is just you're you're crazy. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of folks that either do make the decision to cooperate or um, or try to turn away from that life. They then try to make themselves into kind of a, an industry in their own right with a podcast and books and that kind of thing. And you can kind of see the authenticity in some, in someone like you and kind of see the phoniness in someone like some others that I'm not going to mention. Well, you know, I don't, I don't like to uh, demean anybody else that's trying to do the right thing now, whatever their circumstances were. But, you know, listen, it's not easy to have success, and a lot of them are struggling, you know, honestly. 
but you know, hopefully it works out for them also. But you know, they're in a, they're in a little bit different position than I am uh, because they had to do you know some, some harsher things than I had to do in order to get out of the life, but. It's not easy, Frank. Trust me when I say, you know, we had enough. I mean, I had a lot of challenges, you know, to to get to where I am today. And like I said, fortunately, people hung in there with me. I had a wife that supported me uh, and people supported me. Without that, it's very difficult. And listen, you know, going to prison is not conducive to a good family life. Most of the people that go into prison, they lose their families in a big way. So I was fortunate to be able to keep mine intact and uh, but again, I worked hard at it. You know, one of the things that that motivated me, Frank, when my dad went to prison, you know, he uh, when he first went, he was in Leavenworth Penitentiary. And back then, you're only allowed to have one three minute phone call a month and one visit a month. So my dad was removed from the family. You know, we had things happen. We couldn't rely on him. We couldn't talk to him. We couldn't depend upon him. I watched my brothers and sisters kind of separate from him. I watched the, the, uh, the break in the marriage between my mom and dad. And that was, that was scary to me. When I went to prison, I said, man, I want to try to hold my family together. And I did everything possible in prison to try to maintain that relationship. And it was very difficult. And then they had me in lockdown for three years. I was in the hole and trying to get to a phone to talk to my wife. It was so hard, you know, and, and I, I don't want anybody to have to go through that. And like I said, to, to tell you that I'm fortunate and blessed is an understatement to be able to be where I am today. I mean it. That's wonderful. Um, Michael Franzese is going to be at Caesars in Atlantic City on September 23rd. There's a full Q&A. There's a lot of interesting stories. If you want to get tickets, you can go to Caesars.com. I've also put the link directly on my Facebook page. You can take a look at it at Facebook.com slash Morano fan. Michael, what are, very quickly, what are people going to be in store for if they come to this show on September 23rd? Well, you know, Frank, there's so many myths about my former life, about Cosa Nostra and Mafia in this country, and they're going to hear the truth about it. Um, they're going to get to, you know, uh, this this is crazy, too. But, you know, when I do a Q&A, you would assume that most of the questions are going to be mob-related. You know, they're going to ask about people, and they are. I always ask, where's Jimmy Hoffa buried? You know, how many people did you kill? You know, where's all your money? I, I get the standard questions. But believe it or not, more people are concerned with, Michael, how did you make this transition? How were you able to overcome this? How did your family react? What about your children? How is that relationship? And you know why, Frank? Because in their own way, a lot of people are struggling with their own situations, and they can relate to trying to make a change in their life. And I get so many questions with respect to that, and so many people, you know, uh, just really relate to the situation that I went through, even though they weren't in the mob. And one of the most satisfying things for me over the years is that so many people have come to me and said, Michael, hearing your stories had an impact on me, and I've been able to, you know, get the strength to make a change in my life. And really, that's what this is all about. So, yeah, they're going to hear the mob stuff. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, that's my background, and, and obviously I'm very familiar with a lot. Uh, we'll dispel a lot of the myths about that life. We're going to talk a little bit about you know, uh, things that are going on in Atlantic City, kind of the history of the mob and there and Philly, 
you know, I was pretty close with uh, Nikki Scarfa and a few of these other guys that uh, I'm sure they're going to be familiar with. So we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. We're going to do a Q&A. We're going to have a, a VIP book signing, and uh, it's going to be a good – they're wow. always good times. I always enjoy them. That's terrific. It's going to be Saturday, September 23rd, 8 p.m., Caesars Atlantic City. Uh, best of luck, Michael. I always appreciate you coming on. I know uh, the show is going to be a big success, and uh, I know folks are going to have a good time there. Thank you. Well, Frank, thanks for having me. And I got to tell you this. I love coming on your show because you ask the right questions and you, you just uh, you always conduct a great interview. Uh, you, so I appreciate I it. I appreciate that. Coming from you, who's been interviewed by everybody, that means a great deal. Thank you, Michael Franzese. All right, my friend. Take care. If you want to hear my uh, full podcast interview with Michael, he was recently a guest on The Racket Report. You can go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com and just search The Racket Report. Here, our whole interview, we go through Michael's life story, a bunch of other things. If you want to comment on anything he had to say, you can join me on the phone at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. 